See that flashing sign up there? Now that sign says applesauce. No, no. I, I'm kidding. It says applause. All right. Now, remember, we're on in 10 seconds, so get ready to have a good time. All right, here we go. Everybody and welcome to the Directors Club podcast. I am Jim Laskowski. I'm Patrick Rapol, and I'm a guest. Yes, you are a guest, and we're happy to have you here, Mr. Russ Woods. Hi. Welcome. Yeah, you might know Russ as the uh, musical artist Tiny Folk. Um, you slimmer chance you might know him from his new band Pretty Swans. Uh, Probably not. You might Which know I'm him. Excited about. You might know him from your local library, where he reads uh, picture books, and then after every page, he stops and then shows the picture to all of the children that way they get the full experience mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just like uh, my he's doing there yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> my kindergarten teacher used and, to do and russ you might want to get really intimate with that microphone yeah a little closer yeah, just okay. a little bit okay. t- come a little bit closer mm-hmm. as your, you um, it's your kind of microphone so as you might have guessed uh from the music that opened the show uh belinda carlisle uplifting um, 80s track mm-hmm uh, we're going to be covering Todd Haynes today, as, since, <laughs> since that song and that director is so associated. Yeah, they're uh, they're one and yeah. the same in most people's minds. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but that's uh, coming up later. Um, so, um, I I did want to talk about something first. Okay, go for it. Uh, I, uh, I I got an audio book uh, from the library. Um, hmm. uh, it was Hunt for Red October. And, pretty good um, book. Pretty good book. I, it's, I'm enjoying it. It's it's tense. It's fun watching sort of the uh, intellectual. Um, I remember the arms movie race. being slow. I remember the, it was a slow movie, though. I like, have I have the movie in my possession, but I have not yet watched it. But uh, I have discovered actually recently after um, we'll get into this later. But I, I have a new affinity for Navy movies. Oh, so um, just that I just sort of just discovered. So I wanted to you know read this or listen to the book, um, but. There was something strange about it. Now, the, the back of the uh, the case, it said that the book is narrated by a man named J. Charles, just the letter J, and that he has 40 years of experience in uh, radio, television, theater, and film. Um, I think you know him as Violent J. Charles. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's hard to recognize him when he's not next to Silent Bob, but... Yeah. Um, but it was... <laughs> it was... Uh, but when I listened to it, Something seemed off that made me think maybe this is an act. Well, I, I guess it would be easier if I just sort of – maybe you guys should just listen to this. Captain First Rank Marco Ramius of the Soviet Navy was dressed for the Arctic conditions normal to the Northern Fleet submarine base at Polyarnyi. Five layers of wool and oil skin enclosed him. Oh, that was weird. Yeah, well, so I have a I have a couple theories. Um, none of- that guy has been working in audio for a while. I hear his voice all the time. <laughs> I used to hear I used to hear his voice when uh, I would uh, use the text to speech. Yes. Um, yeah. Program on the Macs and, and make the computer say but. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so yeah, my my theory is he isn't a man at all. J is the program letter. It's the mm-hmm. You know, it's, this is the version after K. Um, no, it's the version before K. 
I can't wait to hear K. It's the yeah. uh, it's the version after I. Well, first there's there's J plus plus, and then you oh, get to K. Oh no, no, that's right. There's always a ton of um, you know patches. But so do you guys? Do you it guys could, think it could it's, be Hal? You never know. I don't know. Do you guys think this guy is a is an android or <laughs> or that it's maybe it's like a Simone situation? Oh yeah, like it's they're trying to pass this narrator off as a real person, even though he's clearly an android. I'm guessing it's a hoax. Uh, I wouldn't even like. I could even see them trying to get away with it if they didn't say stage. Like if they said, yeah. "Oh yeah, he's on the radio and he's been yeah. in, you know, he's been in movies." Did you try doing any research on this fella? Um, unfortunately, just searching for the letter J and Charles didn't give me a lot to go on. <laughs> you know, I don't know. Maybe like the Hunt for Red October audio book, J. Charles. Maybe maybe it's supposed to be narrated by a submarine. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's clever. I like that. A little meta. That it's is like thing. a. Yeah. It's, it's a. Uh, it's like a Thomas the Tank Engine situation. It's, it's a submarine it, it, with a big grid. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it also it has one of those funny things where um, it's 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 an audio book with a thousand characters, but it's one narrator. So <laughs> so it's it's it sounds like uh, it sounds like the entire plot is unfolding between three different people. <laughs> one guy with a Russian accent, one guy with a Texas accent, and then one guy who just sounds like Jay Charles. <laughs> Which means a Russian robot, a Texan robot, and then just a robot robot with the international accent. Wow. So anyway, I just thought That's that was interesting. interesting. Yeah, it is. No, I was, definitely. I was thinking about it. The only submarine movies I think I've seen, I've seen U571, which mm-hmm. I don't remember a thing about. It's good. And I've seen, Megan and I tried to watch Ice Station Zebra. Oh, is that a submarine movie? I thought it was about an ice station. Well, they, they take a submarine to the ah. ice station. The thing about that movie... uh I, I just remember it was so I I don't think there was a single female not just in the cast but anywhere mm-hmm. involved in the making of that movie like I <laughs> wow the credits even in the like, credits being like like it was just the most sausage fest movie ever. <laughs> even catering they're just yeah. like now listen we need a man's touch for this right, fruit, fruit right, spread right and it was really really boring despite having um, Ernest Borgnine. No, the isn't dude from uh, The Prisoner, isn't it? Oh, uh, Patrick McGowan. Patrick McGowan's in it, but yeah. it's it's don't watch it. Well, I probably will because um, I really like <laughs> I really like Navy name. movies. Um, speaking of, um, I guess I not, did... this isn't speaking of Navy movies. <laughs> speaking of speaking of Navy films, we have a letter. We <laughs> nice transition. Yeah, that we got from a listener. Well. We do have some business to take I, care of. No, I, like, no I consider emails. myself nope. a conscientious objector to segues. <laughs> uh, no emails this week, but we actually got actual snail mail. Yeah. We got a nice little package. A little snail was kind enough to, <laughs> to deliver us some mail on uh, our with front his porch. Grease, we had to hold it up to a lamp like it was written in lemon juice uh, in order for it to appear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was very awesome of uh, Mr. Stephen Ray Morris to uh, send us a package with some uh, goodies in it. If he, which we've gotten an email before from him. Yeah. And if you'd like to send us an email, uh, directorsclubpodcast at gmail.com. That's directorsclubpodcast at gmail.com. Directorsclubpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, <laughs> anyway, the rather, the, the redder, the letter mm-hmm. reads as follows. Hey, guys. Wait. Ho- I was going to ask you to read it like Scooby Doo. <laughs> Could you read it like J. Charles? Yeah. <laughs> Could, you read it? Could you read it like J. Charles doing Scooby Doo? <laughs> 
don't know. It might be tricky. Just a alone impression. I hope you are surviving. Nah. All right, all right. Go ahead. Uh, it says, hey, guys, hope you are surviving the storm of the century. Actually, the Stephen King movie was pretty good. Um, no, he didn't write that. <laughs> it says, at the moment, my father is stuck in your lovely city. I doubt he's making podcasts, though. I kind of wish he was. Um, it's funny. You and Patrick are making me remember the magic of cinema. I think for a while I forgot. Through a strictly audio medium. (laughs) I think for a while I forgot why I liked movies or why I wanted to make them in the first place. That's why I quit film school and I'm moving back to California. I actually have a job interview with Playboy to write slash edit for 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 the entertainment section. I've been chatting with them and they asked if I'd be okay with relocating to Chicago. That's where their headquarters are based, in case you guys didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's also where Mr. Skin's headquarters based. Yeah. <laughs> and then it says, wouldn't that be crazy if I ended up in your neck of the woods one day? Then we can collaborate more, which would be cool. <laughs> what you just heard there is uh, Russ's lovely wife, Megan Lamb, sitting on the bed over there. Yes, and she will be contributing to the show later. Yes. Um, to finish up the, the letter here, it says that um, he wants to be a part of the podcast, but he's got to do his research. And he included some fun things for us, like 3D glasses. Take care. Yeah, we got uh, we got some Steven. 3D glasses. We got some Macintosh branded uh, 3D glasses. The old blue and red kind, the blue and reddies. And a new CD from Existential Hero. Yeah. Um, which would be uh, Stephen Ray Morris's uh, moniker uh, slash band of sorts, mm-hmm. indie rock band. So thank you very much, Stephen, for sending us that package. Thanks, it means a lot. Very cool. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks. Awesome. Uh, again, uh you know we're we love uh, getting mail and messages and um, oops and also uh, the one segment we ha- we haven't gone we haven't had yet but uh, if you have anything any claims that we make um, you would like to dispute uh, any opinions on films or just dis- casual dismissals of John Hughes if you'd like to dispute us on the <laughs> on the podcast <laughs> John Hughes is horrible no. Nah. Uh, um, feel free to send us an email at uh, directorsclubpodcast really at gmail dot com. What's I that? Like Uncle Buck. Yeah, <laughs> that was great. I do too. Oh, oh boy. Don't, I don't talk to me about sixteen candles though. You know yeah. that our probably our hundredth episode or something is going to have to be John Hughes. I don't think you know, we're going. Our... I don't think we're going to be able to wait that long. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I don't know. It'd be painful. We have to, well, we obviously have to get somebody on who it'd can be painful because I have to watch his movies Johnny, in order to no, prepare. I like a couple of his movies, <laughs> so we can just move right along. This is what we watch this week. Jim Patrick watch movies. Everybody's gotta watch something. This is what we watch this week. On to what we watched this week. What, what we, we watched watch this week. week. Yes. Awesome. Now, um, uh, I think it's courtesy to ask the uh, guest if he'd like to go first, but mm-hmm. it's, you're under no obligation. I read that to in a so. woman's magazine once. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm. Um, I don't want to go first. That's okay, Russ. <laughs> I will be more than happy to go first. <laughs> Jim, what movies did you watch this week? I watched some stuff. 
Now, now that I'm back in school, I can't watch nearly as much as I'd like, but um, I have been marathoning Larry Sanders as um, I'm at uh, season four right now, That's and well, it's you still should. my favorite show, one of my and all-time anyone, favorite comedies. And anyone with Netflix Instant should, as the four, yes. first four seasons are available. Oh, not all there. of them. I thought all No, of them. not five and six, Oh, wow, that's odd. I wonder why they decided to do that. Sometimes anyway. those, those come later. Uh, I don't know. Mm. But I will say that Hank's Divorce is probably my favorite episode thus far, So, and that's in season four. So, um, yeah, that's pretty much TV show-wise. I've been trying to get through that. Um, Movie-wise, I watched some very interesting things, including Ravenous. Have you seen this, Patrick? Um, no. It is totally up your alley. I think you're really going to appreciate this one. Yeah, what kind of film is it? It's a hybrid um, war movie slash vampire movie slash cannibal movie. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. It's very gory. It's got a very campy sensibility about it. Um, it was inspired by a true story. Uh, Alfred Packer. A, he was he was the musicals based on. Oh, okay. Yep. Wow. Very good. Yeah, he entered the Civil War, got kicked out because of epilepsy, and then he became a, a prospector who decided to start eating people. Huh. And uh, in this movie, um, I guess Robert Carlyle would be portraying that role, and. Uh, you know, most people would probably remember him from Train Spotting. There, he was addicted to heroin. In this movie, he's addicted to eating flesh. Mm-hmm. Um, Guy Pierce, yeah, it isn't is it? Fle- <laughs> flesh is often considered nature's heroin. True, very true. But um, <laughs> it's one of those movies where um, it's got a lot of stylistic flourish to it, including a very weird score that. I'm not even sure totally works, but I like it separately from like I could listen to it. Not like I don't know if it complements the movie because it's it's essentially a horror movie, but it's sort of a campy, goofy score. So it's 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 always like hard to decipher whether this is a comedy or horror movie because there's really terrifying things that happen to these characters. But then you got David Arquette acting like a complete nut. What year? Um, What year is this from? I want to say ninety nine, two thousand. I think it's pretty early on. Okay. Maybe it was 98. I'll look into that for sure to make sure. That's fine. uh, Jeffrey Jones is in this. He's, he's having a lot of fun. Um, I, I just thought it was really an an interesting amalgam of different types of movies. And I thought it was also a lot of fun and it's really gory and disgusting. Um, and it was directed by a woman and she's, I don't know if she's done a whole lot of other significant work and that's something else I need to look into because I really like this movie. I thought it was cool. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Anything yeah. else? Um, I watched a movie that I'm sure both you, uh, both of you are fans of, Election, which is probably my favorite Alexander Payne movie. Yeah, I um, would say. That's, Same. There's, there's pretty what much... What else has she done? Uh, Sideways. Sideways and okay. About Schmidt. Okay. I liked About Schmidt. Yeah. Um, yeah. I pretty much watch this movie once a year when I'm in the mood for it. I, I, As much as I like About Schmidt, there's something about this one that sort of resonates with me a little bit more because it's like you know you got really strong characters but it's also a social satire um it's very humanistic which is really what i like about him i think he's more of like an edgier more cynical version of a james l brooks and uh i don't know there's he writes really complex characters but they're also relatable Mm -hmm. which is what i really Mm -hmm. like um and you know the performances in this are great everybody you know sort of pointed out that it was sort of Reese Witherspoon's breakout role after doing like I don't know if she did this before or after Legally Blonde I'm pretty sure she did it before I, yeah this is before Legally Blonde yeah 
Legally Blonde, I think, takes her character from this and then uses it for evil <laughs> yeah. instead of good. Good point. But um, I like that uh, Payne wrote a really good role for Matthew Broderick because I've always kind of liked him, but he was just, you know, too busy um, trying to get, you know, play hooky and uh, play thermonuclear war <clears throat> with a computer. I mean, he grew up, obviously. It, playing this kind of role wouldn't have worked when he was 16 <laughs> or 17. Have you seen Matthew Broderick lately? Um, he probably hasn't grown up much then, right? It's creepy. He, he, yeah, it's creepy because he looks the exact same, but he also looks fifty years old. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's got, got gray those, hair now. Yeah, he's got those big dreamy bedroom eyes. Yeah, <laughs> it's sort of. Um, uh, wait, oh my god, I'm sorry, I always blank on actors. Uh, Harold and Maude. Uh huh. Bud Court. Yeah, Bud Court. It's sort of similar to Bud Court, where Bud Court looks like an unhealthy mix of young and old. Uh (laughs) Um, Except where Bud Court looks sort of like a sad dog, like Matthew Broderick (laughs) looks like a bad plastic surgery. It's kind of weird. Yeah, no, I I would agree with that. But yeah, no, election, election's great. I love election. I've only seen it once. I should watch it again. It's interesting because yeah, it's. I, I know. I, thing, I, don't think. I know Alexander Payne's got a new movie coming out this year, and I'm really excited about it. I mean, um, I, I feel like his sensibilities is, you know, obviously it's not quite as amazing as something like Louis C.K., but like just just the way he tells these really humanistic stories, but is very sort of darkly comedic and sort of. I mean, he's observational, but he's in, insanely um, critical. Of people, but at the same time loving his characters. That's like he's that's really critical. A really interesting comparison that I would have never thought of. But there are episodes of Louis that feel very much like, like an sort Alexander of Payne mini, movie. Yeah. like Alexander Payne kind of movies. I can yeah. see that. Yeah, that's and I'm, I'm really glad that Matthew Broderick sort of had this role. And you know, it's 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 like Election would be almost like Louis C.K., but something like Ferris Bueller would be like fucking Carrot Top or <laughs> you know Gallagher or something. Because I hate Ferris Bueller, not to get back on the John Hughes <laughs> thing. But, Has it been 10 minutes already? <laughs> I have never actually seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Consider no. yourself lucky. I don't think it's, I don't think it's, I don't even think it's that bad. And I, don't, I do. I, hate John Hughes. <laughs> I think I like Breakfast Club more than Ferris Bueller. And you, yeah, you, you feel the Breakfast opposite, Club. maybe. Well, I mean, Breakfast Club's horrible. But we'll save that for the John Hughes episode. Right. I like anyway. John Hughes when he's not, like, like, I love Pretty in Pink, but he didn't direct it. It's all right. He didn't direct I, Pretty in Pink? No. Oh, no, that's right. He produced uh, it. Right. And did oh, he write that's it? right. Yeah, and you're right. Wrote it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, Same thing with Some Kind of Wonderful, which I really yeah. like. Same which guy like directed well. Pretty in Pink yeah. and Some Kind of yeah. Wonderful. Uh, yeah. Again, he, he yeah. Yeah. Um, but I do like, I like his later John Candy stuff. The only John Hughes thing I really love, um, there are some of his National movies Lampoon's I tolerate. Vacation. Yeah, Vacation, which uh-huh. he wrote. Yeah. But he okay. didn't direct. But that movie's he, incredible. Yeah. He also produced, or... Something Home Alone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did Home Produ- Alone. I, I he wrote it. And Chris Columbus directed yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and again, I love. I like Uncle parts Buck. of Home Alone. I love Uncle Buck, and I love Home Alone. Mm-hmm. Both, so. so you like John Candy and Macaulay Culkin? I love John Candy. Yeah. <laughs> and Macaulay Culkin too. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm, both. Yeah. All right. No, so I'm, yeah, I'm excited about whatever Alexander Payne does because I mean I like Sideways, but I think I like it a lot more for Paul Giamatti than Thomas Hayden Church's character. Really? Yeah, Thomas Hayden Church is amazing in that movie. I don't. Maybe he's he, maybe he's MPV, maybe MVP he's amazing in it, but his character is just I don't know. Well, right, but it's I, called. For. I can't really buy the fact that those two guys would be friends. Mm-hmm. No, I, I'm friends. I've been friends with people. complete opposites. Yes, I have. <laughs> um, right. I I feel that you've. 
you saw sort of the similar thing where Thomas Hayden Church, uh, I think he sees Miles uh, in Sideways as like a guy he can sort of use, but at the same, like he can use him to feel better about himself, but it's also like a way as an end to more like intellectual things or like like wine and stuff where he can feel he's part of that because he mm-hmm. has the money and the wealth of that, but he has none of the sophistication that Miles has. Mm. Yeah. And I feel, I don't feel it's a good friendship. I don't feel, you know, I feel after that, they don't really complement each other very well. No, 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 no. After, after that movie ends, I think that's the end of their friendship. I, I feel, but that's an interesting point. Um, yeah. But I really do, I really do believe um, believe them, and I think Thomas Hayden Church is hysterical. Well, we'll say, we'll definitely, we're going to have an Alexander yeah. Payne movie episode when he when he comes up with his new movie. But the third and final thing I wanted to bring up is probably my new favorite movie of two thousand and ten. Which is, uh, I mean... Alvin and the Chipmunks 2, the sequel. <laughs> I knew you were going to do something like that. Squeakle. I want to kill you. God. It's but, the uh, world's first squeakle, a movie, as a matter of a fact. A movie has been, uh, yeah, a, a movie has surpassed Black Swan. Right, what's um, that? This is a movie by a very prolific British director named Mike Lee. Oh, okay. I've only seen two of his movies, and I kept hearing that this one is probably his best, and everybody has is, is right. Mm-hmm. Everybody who said that is completely right. Um, it's really like, all it is, is observing characters having really strong empathy for one another. And it's, it, you know, it's, it's, again, it's almost like, what's the title of the, it's sorry, it's called another year. All right. Yeah. And, um, the title, the reason why it's called that is because it spans a year, Mm -hmm. um, it spans the course of a year, and it's broken up into four chapters. Not because it's the uh, sequel to Year. <laughs> or Year One. Right. Is there a movie just called Year? No, but the sequel to oh, 48 Hours right. was another 48 Hours. Right. Or another You. Go ahead. With Gene Wilder. No. Um, that was bad. <laughs> but there's not much plot. Not a whole lot happens. Um, you know, I, I, I hate to bring up uh, Somewhere again, but... It's it like somewhere to me was a representation of apathy and this malaise that a person can go through. This is the complete opposite for me. It's about bonding, sharing intimate conversations, even when they're painful and desperate. Um, it's basically about a husband and wife who are like these eternal optimists. They always get along, but they genuinely feel sorry for one of their few single friends who's older and has yet to find her soulmate. Um, her name is Mary, and she keeps visiting them for really intense emotional support. I mean, she she's pretty much an outgoing, you know, rambling, you know, fun person to be around. Uh, I mean, she has got issues and drinking problems, but she never comes off as pathetic. I mean, just maybe a little, little desperate, a little clingy, and... The thing about this movie is like as it as it's unfolding and as by the time I got to like the autumn and winter chapters of the story I, it completely disarmed me. It was and the thing about it is like there's no score raising, there's nothing, no manipulative tactics. You just immediately start identifying with every single person on screen as it plays out. It's kind of about how you can feel completely alone in a room full of people that make you feel alone even if that's not their intention at all. They're providing the company and the solace, but this woman, Mary, she's completely uh, immersed in like this middle-aged malaise or post-middle-aged malaise that's um, 
really affecting her emotional stability. And it's kind of about how people find connections externally but still feel disconnected internally. You can just see yourself relating to that person, to that person, and to that person, and, and for different reasons. It really showcases how fragile human relationships can be and how people sort of come together, even if it's just once every few months, to sort of hash things out and to sort of talk things through. It's a very strong movie that reminds me of going to therapy. It reminds me of having a cathartic experience, but with just two people that you're not necessarily, they're not family members, not, they're not even really close friends. They're just acquaintances who she opens up to, they allow her into the world that they've had, and there's awkwardness, and there's a lot of heartbreaking moments. Um, it just really plays out like life, and that's what I mm-hmm. really appreciated about it. But it's very sincere. It's It's got a lot of laughs. But um, this this director, Mike Lee, I'm so interested in watching his other movies because it's it plays out like improvised theater. It's interesting. Um, I've heard the, really good things about him. Yeah. The, uh, it's interesting because the one movie I saw um, this past week Excuse me. Um, so yeah, I recommend everybody see another right. year. Um, my, uh, I have sort of a similar reaction to, and it's almost sort of a similar thing. Um, it was a movie from 1969 called Last uh, Last Summer. And, I had um, never even heard of this movie until no, you told neither, me about neither it. Neither had I. But um, TCM has been having their 31 days of Oscar mm-hmm. recently, as they do every mm-hmm. every year when the Oscars are coming up, and. For me, it's 31 days of Patrick gets to know older movies. Um, <laughs> Patrick gets more acquainted with the 50s and 40s and stuff. So I sort of DVR'd it on a whim, um, not knowing anything about it really other than Barbara Hershey was in it. And it's uh, it's a story about a girl played by Barbara Hershey and two boys, and they're, they're about 16, uh, 15 or 16 years old, and they sort of form this very intense um, bond um, over the course of a summer – uh, and it's it's one of the, the it's one of the most powerful movies I've ever seen. It's it almost like could unseat um, Annie Hall as my favorite movie ever. It's it's um, it's the most sort of honest and true portrayal of adolescence I've ever seen in a movie. I, I feel like every single important emotion and relationship that I had, like from ages fourteen to nineteen, were up there in one way or another on screen. Because you have this, you have this weird unspoken sexual tension, and you have these intense moments of joy and freedom, and then you there another girl tr- um, tries to, um, you know, join the group, and they alternately, um, you know, sort of welcome her and push her away, uh, and they, you know, they let her in, but they don't let her all the way in, um, so and she becomes sort of the emotional backbone of the movie as you see these these people sort of toy with her and torture her. And it's, it's so honest. It never feels like a, like a kids or, um, or anything like that where it feels like it's overly cynical. Um, I feel for every terrible sort of thing that happens in the movie, um, until the very end, there's like sort of an equal sort of the portrayal of the joy and the silliness of having no responsibilities and freedom, discovering yourself. Hmm. And it's an incredibly powerful movie, and and it's it's uh, it's unfortunately it's not on DVD. Um, it's uh, the it's on VHS, but that's about like fifty dollars on Amazon. 
Um, so it's really, really hard to find. But Has there been any campaign to release on DVD or any um, word? Actually, shortly after I saw it, um, Roger Ebert, he probably... He probably DVR'd it off at TCM as well. Um, <laughs> he wrote a he, piece about it recently? No, he didn't write a piece about it. But, hmm. you know, he's a very prolific Twitterer. Yeah. And it was Barbara Hershey's birthday. Um, so he tweeted, he goes, it's Barbara Hershey's birthday. Last her, her best film last summer is sadly not available on DVD. And then he linked to his review. Oh, wow. So um, he probably led a lot of people there. But it's a, it's a very kind of quiet movie. The director... Um, he's directed several other things that I've read acclaimed things about, but weren't act- that aren't actually big movies. His biggest movie he actually is from the '80s, Mommy Dearest. He directed. Oh, um, but yeah. it was written by him and his wife, um, and they've made several other movies together um, that are available on DVD. But so that was a really um, big movie for me, and I <laughs> urge anyone. It's not it's not easy to find, but um, if you can find it, it's a it's a good idea to see it. <laughs> I just <laughs> what was that all? Um, another another movie I saw that a little on the opposite end of things would be Decline of Western Civilization Part Two: The Metal Years. Huh. Um, which I've been is, meaning to see. That. Which came it came out I believe in 1987 or uh, hold on 88. Um, and uh, it's a, a documentary about the LA hair metal scene. Um, and it's a it's a sequel to a documentary about the early 80s um, punk scene in L.A., um, <laughs> which was more serious because, you yeah, know... Yeah, I've seen that one. I haven't seen part two. <laughs> part two is hilarious. Part two is sort of... It's almost... a. It's kind of sad to watch now because nowadays, after... Like, that entire period of of, of musical history has been uh, behind the music t- to death. You've, you know? Um, but at that time, it's it's it, it was sort of crazy and hilarious it's a bunch of interviews with different metal bands, some who haven't made it, some who have spent a lot of money on the gamble of hoping to make it one day, but they spend all their money on, you know, stage theatrics and uh, all of that right. because they think that will get them a record deal because, you know, that worked for Poison or whatever. Um, and they're just all morons. It's it's <laughs> it's a it's like a it's, it's if Spinal Tap was an actual documentary. Um, well, that's what Anvil kind of was. Oh yeah? yeah, I didn't. I didn't actually get a chance to see Anvil. Oh, you'll love it. I'm but pretty, uh, pretty much guaranteed. It's it. really funny. Um, they have the. I don't know if he's the lead singer or lead guitarist or what of Wasp. The sort of the climax of the movie is him floating around, incredibly drunk in his pool, with his mom um, <laughs> sitting poolside, like just looking really mortified and embarrassed that her son is making an ass of himself um, in front of filmmakers, mm. and they're asking him, and he's like going in this weird sort of depressing self-hatred mode where he's just like hitting himself and he's and they're like why you drink so much and he's like because i'm fucking i'm a piece of shit <laughs> and it's really and it's and and what's sort of great about it is it approaches it approaches the the filmmaker i can't remember her name but she approaches the penelope spheris there you go she um, did wayne's world oh there you go she approaches the the subjects with just enough um sort of content con. con She's just condescending enough where – Yeah, she approaches them with just enough water, <laughs> water vapor yeah. that she's, she's aware that everything is completely silly <laughs> and that she's talking to stupid people. Right. But at the same time, she interviews like um, like groups of pe- – like this uh, head of a parent group who is going on this insanely long um, – like theories about what the devil horns like hand sign means and like the different sixes that can be found and like 
like who and she's convinced that heavy metal music is going to destroy America. And I think she comes off worse in that in the movie than anyone else, but it's really interesting and then also it sort of it's sort of it's sort of funny now to watch. It sets up Megadeth as being Megadeth is going to be the person who sa- the people who save metal. <laughs> like the movie ends with Megadeth and interviews with Dave Mustaine and Dave Mustaine being like, you know what? No, we don't want fame. We don't fortune. We don't want to dress up and do crazy stuff. That's just stupid. That's megalomania. <laughs> like he's some kind of martyr. <laughs> like <laughs> when, when really, like you know, she should have put her, uh, she should have backed a Metallica or something like that, yeah. Slayer or Pantera. But uh, it's a good, it's a good documentary. It's not on. Um, I've talked to a friend who's sort of behind – who knows a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff about DVD distribution. He said that Criterion's been wanting to put it out for a while, but they can't – They should get... put out all the movies in a series or something. Well, all of them on the same Is there more than package. two? I think there was three, if I'm not mistaken. What, what would part three be? Grunge? <laughs> Maybe. I thought there was a part three. I'm not 100% sure. I don't think I, – There I... is a part three. It came oh. out in 98. And what is – is it? Is it about Soundgarden? <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't really specifically say. Is it it's follow Radiohead on their Kid A tour? Um, first film dealt with punk. Second film dealt with heavy metal. Mm-hmm. This gutter punk. <laughs> gutter punk. Gutter punk lifestyle of homeless teenagers. Okay, well that doesn't okay. really. That doesn't even feel like so part of the other channel. Yeah, like it's not a lot about music. I guess I don't know. Doesn't really mention a lot. Maybe That's there's funny. a lot of um, dumpster diving. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I watched. Maybe, your... maybe this is obvious. Something obvious trivia that everybody knows. But um, did you know where where Megadeth got their name from? Uh, isn't um... that the Doctor Strangelove? <sighs> Oh, is that? Oh, yeah, that's right. That's he different says, from what they said in Behind the Music. Oh, really? In Behind the Music, he said he was like reading an article <laughs> in a newspaper where awesome. Megadeth is the technical term for 1,000 deaths. <laughs> oh, wow. I hope that article got it from Dr. Strangelove. Oh, is it? Yeah. Because <laughs> it's in, in Dr. Strangelove. That sounds the, about right. War Room, they have like a paper that says, says like damages in megadeths oh right 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 um actually right. that would that would make sense because actually one of megadeth the band's worst tendencies is to instead of singing the song to just like read like horrible satirical poetry <laughs> <laughs> over guitar riffs hello me yeah the real me. yeah just like <laughs> just like they say pieces for here but not a nada it's just horrible Symphony of Destruction. Right, right, right. That's actually why I can't stand Megadeth. I like the guitarist and everything, but I like early Metallica, but I'm not a fan of Megadeth. I was listening to that uh, recently. I was listening to Master of Puppets and it's good. Kill Them All and uh, Ride the Lightning. And uh... have you seen some kind of monster? Yes, I have. That's oh, it's so good. Yeah, um, a little long, but really good. Um, I, I also saw an amazing movie that I down that I uh, DVR'd off of TCM. Um, the Battle for Algiers. Yeah, I've been wanting to see that. It's on. It's, that, it's on Netflix Instant. Actually, it's fucking incredible. It's cool. this. It's this black and white movie that, like, I don't know if, like, it feels. It's not done in like a fake documentary style, but it feels like some of it has to be documentary footage because there are like. It's especially affecting now with what's sort of going on in Egypt because it's all about Algiers. Um, uh, sort of organizations uh, fighting back against the French occupation, um, and it's this—it's this really powerful movie um, about revolution, and there's uh, and about sort of 
how every time they, you know, every victory scored against the, um, you know, revolutionary groups, it only creates more revolutionaries because, and there's this like recurring motif of people watching on as as people are brutalized or whatever, and those people later on becoming, you know, joining the ranks. Mm-hmm. And it ends with some of the most stirring footage of, like, just the people of Algiers protesting. Um, hmm. And it very much resembled sort of what's going on in, in Egypt right now. But definitely you should see Battle for Algiers. Who directed that? Um, it? It's, it, was, it, was actually, um, it was actually commissioned by the Algerian government. I don't know the, oh, wow. the name of the director, but... Hmm. It's That's uh, interesting. So I mean, it's it's propaganda, I, I would suppose, okay. in a way, but not not really. <laughs> um, and then uh, I saw the Kane Mutiny, which is a uh, which is a Navy movie featuring Humphrey Bogart. Oh, that's right. Yeah, and um, yeah, my dad was a fan of that one. That's it's right. a it's a good one. It's a really good one. Where Humphrey Bogart is this paranoid personality, um, and he keeps seeing things, and he's freaking out about missing strawberries and stuff, and the crew decides that they have to mutiny because he's driving them straight into a storm and they're going to die. Mm. And then so it's about sort of their growing mistrust of him and the mutiny and then sort of the court martial afterwards um, where, they're, where they're, you know, in, in court, in the military court, um, figuring out if this was a mutiny or if this was a lawful sort of relieving him of his command. Um, and it's fun. Humphrey Bogart is uh, kind of crazy in it. Um, Miguel oh, Ferreira's Miguel Ferreira's dad, Jose Ferreira, plays their lawyer, and he's amazing in it. Oh wow! Um, I, I don't think I'm. I don't care about spoiling it because it's from the '50s. But uh, so they win the case, and then you think it's sort of going to be a typical happy ending, and then Ho- and then uh, Jose Ferreira comes in and just sort of shits on the happy ending, where, oh. where he's like, "I can't believe you guys made me do this. We totally ruined that guy's life, and he, you know, and you should have trusted him because he's your captain." And he just and like everyone's celebrating and drinking champagne, and he just comes in drunk and shits all over the happy ending, and then leaves. <laughs> <laughs> um. So yeah, and that, that was good. Yeah, it's it's a really good movie, and. I really like Navy movies. I like sort of the, the chain of command. I think that's interesting. I like blue-collar characters. It's sort of a similar – both those reasons are actually a similar reason I like uh, police procedurals um, like The Wire or Homicide Life on the Street because I really like sort of them having to work within this system. Mm-hmm. And I like the blue-collar characters. And I like Navy – I mean armies are, are like – you know other uh, sort of war movies are the same way. But Navy in particular, it feels like they're on their own. They're their own sort of – um, you know, self-operating kind of civilization with, yeah. with uh, you know, their own sort of structure. Especially if they're stuck in a submarine. Right, right. Especially, like... yeah, especially in World War II where they can't just easily get communications at any time. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm a big fan of movies where people are just, you know, not necessarily isolated, but they're sequestered or they're just in, in an environment where they have to basically make their own government or make their own rules right. or make their own community where they have to sort of engage with one another and figure out how to get through certain things. And I'm a, I, I can get behind that type of movie for sure. I haven't watched that many Navy movies, to be honest. Neither have I, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to make that actually my year-long uh, mission is to watch as many Navy movies as I can because I've re- looked, looked back and realized – like movies like I love Das Boot. I love yeah, that's uh, amazing. Movie. Crimson Tide. Even movies that aren't on the sea, like Last Detail. Yeah, um, that's good. Is one of my favorites. Uh, you know, um, 
on the town with Gene Kelly and Frank Sinatra, which I'm not <laughs> sure if it counts because it's, it's pretty much it's like a super like 50s happy version of the Navy where they're just <laughs> they're just like, gee, we only got one night here in New York. What do we do? Let's do everything. And it's, it's just kind of a silly, cute movie, but it's, you know, I love Gene Kelly. So, but yeah, that's going to be an ongoing thing. Cool. Uh, cool. I'm going to do this year is watch as many Navy movies as I can. I'm not going to watch Down Periscope or McHale's Navy. McHale's Navy. That's what I, I, I will watch. I will watch McHale's Navy because I haven't seen it. But I watched Down mm. Periscope on Comedy Central one time because I on IMDb it said Pat Oswalt was in it. Yeah. So I literally only watched it to find Pat Oswalt and be oh there he is in the background. I could not. This on I could. Oh, did I? Yes, you yeah. did. All right. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's okay. I didn't mean to repeat myself, but yeah, so I'm not watching that piece of shit again. But I looked, checked my library, and they actually had, you know, the original TV show, McHale's Navy? Oh. They had the Christmas episode nice. on DVD. <laughs> the McHale's Navy Christmas episode. So I'm definitely going to watch that. And, and you're going to have to watch Navy Seals. Back yeah, Navy Seals, um, Widowmaker, Navy Dolphins, um, Navy Sharks. Mm hmm. Navy Stingrays. Uh, G.I. Jane. Was run she Silent, Run Deep. <laughs> no, she was... Uh, Marines aren't the same. Oh, okay. Um, no, not quite. She was a Marine? I, I think she was... She was a Marine biologist. Well, G- I think G.I. is no. Army. I don't know. I don't know anything No, she was a Marine biologist. <laughs> God damn it. You're thinking of Sequest. No, I'm not. <laughs> don't you remember that movie she was in? Life Sequest? Life Aquatic. Oh, that's right. Life yeah. Aquatic. So would you uh, rah, 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 rah. Uh, Well, first I'm going to talk. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you were able to decode that. TV shows before uh, <laughs> before I talk about movies. Yeah, please um, do. This first first one is is one I thought of because Jim was talking about how much he likes lawyer stuff. I do. Um, and it's a it's kind of a newish show, I guess, uh, called Damages. Oh, I need to watch With that. Glenn Close. And yeah, Ted I've heard Danson. good things. Yeah. yeah, Ted Danson's in it. He plays a. Uh, He's in the first season more than more than a, a, the later ones, right. but um, yeah, he plays a kind of an evil billionaire who. Uh, is there any other he, kind? He, no, but the best part <laughs> is that at the beginning you kind of feel like you could go. And he seems like a little bit of a dick, mm-hmm. but like you could go either way on him. But the more he tries to convince people that he's not really that bad the more he seems really that bad. Like, he's just, like, the biggest dick ever. But he's, like... It's one of those things where you kind of... The most damning thing about a person can be that they really, in their heart, believe there's nothing wrong with them. Mm-hmm. And that they're they're not doing anything wrong. <laughs> right. Even though he, like... You know, like... Hires somebody to kill somebody. You know? Like... <laughs> Um, but Glenn Close is great in it. She plays this, like, basically, like, the... Yeah, she's got a whole second career going. The Gregory House of Lawyers. Um, and, uh, she, uh, it's, it kind of starts, um, with the, it's from the perspective of this, this girl who's a kind of up and coming, she just graduated from law school, and, um, she's... getting interviews at all these big law firms and um within the first episode she gets she gets hired by Glenn Close who's kind of the lawyer to work for mm-hmm. and um everything kind of it, it's interesting because it in the very first episode it starts showing these flashbacks from something that happens at the very end or sort of flash forwards right to mm-hmm. something that happens at the very end and um it 
interpolates them throughout the whole season until you get to the point where that happens. So you kind of are are seeing these little snippets of something that's this big climactic scene that's going to happen later, and you kind of start working out where images from that scene come from as they Ooh. like at one point it, it towards the beginning of the um, of the season it shows um, it shows this you know this bloody like um, like bookend that she has in this in this flash forward scene and then you like the next episode you see somebody give it to her as a present mm-hmm. and so you kind of figure out where these things come from. Um, and it's really interestingly done. It's, uh, it's pretty, it, I mean, it's a, it's a legal drama. But is there a story arc? Do you, can you just jump right in or do you no, have to watch it from you, the beginning? You have to watch it from the beginning. Although the, uh, on the last episode of damages are, are kind of mind numbingly like, uh, they, they go into way too much detail and it's not, it's hmm. not. It's not quite as FX much. FX always does that. You don't have to follow yeah. it quite as closely as something like The Wire, right? Um, because it 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 does give you things. It doesn't make you pay quite that close attention, but it's um, totally worth watching. Good. I remember. Really I remember FX did that. I watched like the first couple seasons of The Shield on DVD. Uh-huh. They would include those on the last episode of The Shield on the DVD. As if you didn't just watch it. Like, as if you were waiting a week in between episodes with the DVD. I think they did that with Lost, too, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, man. That's, it's so I'm crazy to me. Yeah. Like, I can understand it when you're originally broadcasting it, but, like, not on the DVDs. Hmm. According yeah. to the Wikipedia, Mark Campbell Scott's in the show. I really like him. Martin Short? What's he doing on there? He might be in the later seasons. I haven't seen him in anything yet. Yeah, that's weird. I may not watch it now. <laughs> you can watch the first season and be fine. Okay, I'll just watch the first season where I know there's no Martin I didn't Short. Even, I didn't even want to bring up Martin Short again, and here he was on Damages. Is Who Martin, knew? Is Martin Short in any John Hughes movies? <laughs> oh, man, that would be like the worst oh, for you. All you would need is Juliette Lewis. Okay, I think he's in somewhere. Would... <laughs> God damn it. That'd be great. Oh. It would just be like this insane ball of hate. <laughs> spitting black bile across the faces of America. <laughs> so, uh, what else you watch? Uh, I watched the. So, I've, I've been watching for a while. I've been watching Skins, mm-hmm. uh, which, for those of you who haven't seen it, it's a British um, kind of teen drama. And now there's and, an American remake, right? Yes, there is. There's an American version. I have not seen it, um, but yeah, it's in the vein of like a Gossip Girl or, or something like that. Um, the kid from About a Boy is in this, right? Yes. Yeah, the yes. little, the the little the, boy. He's in yeah. the first two seasons. It's actually... Um, Hugh Grant. No, after, Nicholas Hout. It focuses on this high school, and so after the first two seasons, um, the they graduate. And only the younger sister of one of the guys who's in the main character, who was in the first two seasons, is in the third and fourth season. It kind of switches the whole cast almost... Um, for the beginning of the third season. And I'd watched the first two seasons, which were really good, um, and uh, kind of had a nice balance of, of drama and goofiness. And hmm. the third season is just ridiculous and super goofy. Just, like, wackiness. Does someone bring, um, like, a, a robot best friend to school? Uh, what do you mean by goofy? It's like, um, uh, you, you'll learn very quickly of the worst memory ever. Um, I'm, I'm trying to remember. 
Yeah, I don't remember anything that happens in anything I watch. Okay. Um, but that happens to me too. Yeah. That's, that's why um, I always have my reference but, sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> I, I should have taken notes, but I that's wasn't okay. planning on telling no. about this until I got here. But that's it, fine. it's basically just the tone of it gets gets very very wacky very quickly, and uh, I think there was a. You you find out uh, there there's a party at at some at a character's mom's house and the mom's kind of like this very conservative it's like almost like a like borderline like homeschool feeling relation uh, mother daughter yeah, relationship like, like the oh super boy. close mother daughter relationship where they're like act, the mother acts like she's her best friend but at the same time is like super protective and doesn't want her like talking to boys mm. or talking about talking to boys right um and so um uh, that girl has been basically just lying to her mom and, and going out and doing all the stuff she wants to. And um, she invites her friends that she's made uh, over for, like, a slumber party at her house with her mom. And, of course, they all do drugs and are just, <laughs> like, like have crazy sex because that's what most of the people on this show do. All right. Um, all right. And so they come over and they put uh, ecstasy in the brownies. Which the mom then eats a bunch of and <laughs> flips out and then, like, passes out in her bed. Then, like, it ends up being this huge party and, like, this one girl has these creepy older, this creepy older boyfriend who's, mm. like, like 38 or something. And she's, like, 15. And, like, he brings Ooh. all his friends over there. And so there's all these, like, weird, creepy it's, it's old the guys end of, there. It's the end of weird science. And, there are people riding motorcycles no, through the party. Yeah. And, 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 like, and this house of this, this girl's mom is, like, taken out. And then eventually, like, two of the characters, like, find this secret room where, like, <laughs> the mom and the next-door neighbor had been making, like, fetish porn or something. Oh, like, oh my God. It just gets so, like... It just turns oh, into man. yeah. Oh, my the God. whole the whole show just gets. I I would actually I like to I like to nominate from now on when a when a show goes past the point of no return in terms of quality, it's no longer called Jumping the Shark. It's called Finding the Secret Room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I the thing is I kind of want to keep watching it because it it is actually pretty funny, but it's just not the same show. Anymore. Right. Right. It's an interesting, that's an interesting choice. Yeah. I mean, at first it sounds like it's like the rules of attraction only in TV episode form. Mm-hmm. But then it goes off into like this weird, surreal territory. Yeah. It doesn't make sense, but... Well, and it's... it's <laughs> why? It's kind of, the characters are actually... Turns into Clue. <laughs> ...kind of becoming more interesting as you go on, even though the main plots of the episodes are still like really ridiculous. Um, I, I have a friend who's, who's watched all four seasons already, and... Um, he says that the 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 second season of both is the best. The second season of with each of the cast is the best. All right. So, um, and they've just started the fifth season. So I don't know anything about the fifth season, but um, yeah, starting the third season was definitely an interesting experience. Um, other than that, I rewatched Candyman. Oh, excellent choice! Uh, which is one of your favorites? Which is one of my absolute favorites. Candyman. And uh, I, the I Candyman can just don't have anything bad to say about what, that movie at what, all. Can I can I ask? Because yeah. we were we were talking uh, online like a couple days ago, right. and you said that was one, like one of your favorite movies ever. And it, I didn't say anything then, but it strikes me as just kind of odd. Like, do you is there do you is there anything? Why? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just and it, and it's not even something I 
uh, I can really explain other than it's just one of those movies that I enjoy watching so much. It's just like it immediately pulls me in and I'm just so satisfying to watch like um <laughs> I, I think it's an amazing movie. I, I love, love the care I love love the the whole setup of like um uh, this is the, I'm totally stealing Megan's Megan's words about the movie but basically like we talked about how um it's like the the white people in the movie are kind of act like they're they're too good for the the to believe in these in this these like superstitions that like the black people believe in but then it kind of like is like no they were right and you're dead <laughs> um and i really like that uh and also i i just think it's so um it's just the the fact that the the main character i don't remember her name or the actress's name virginia madsen there we go um but she she just playing herself. She she just waltzes into Cabrini Green. Yeah, and it's yep. just so fearless. And it's well, I mean, to be fair, she's doing a paper. Oh right, yeah. she's doing a paper. Um, she's like a first year grad student or something. Yeah. <laughs> she tells like some like tenure professor she's going to bury him. She's oh like, yeah, that was she's great. Like arrogant it's... little shit. <laughs> <laughs> I, I literally I've seen that movie maybe three times I can never remember what happens past like she murders her husband yeah right I can never like that part yeah, is just... wiped clean of my memory I can't remember anything past her crying it... like pulling the bloody clothes off herself with the cops there and isn't it the same husband from safe it's the I same husband the from same. safe and the yeah. hu- same oh, husband yeah. same husband who gets his head impaled in uh, Terminator 2 that's right. Oh, Very he was good. drinking milk out of the carton. And, uh, <laughs> oh my god, it's all coming wow. together. This yeah. is weird. No. He was he was he was oh. the uh, asshole husband du jour for a while there. I think his name is Xavier Barkley. Yeah, yeah, that's Something. right. No, that's so yeah. weird. How do I know that? Oh my god. Okay. No, oh. that's a great movie. I love yeah, Candyman. I love that movie. And Bernard Rose also did Immortal Beloved with Gary Oldman. It's uh, the Beethoven story. Yeah, I think oh. we talked about that. Yeah, in our, uh, yeah, you did because I really yeah. want to see it. Yeah. Because I love Gary Oldman. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. You, oh, it's like, so good. He's I'm so good at it. I'm a fan of both Gary Oldman and Gary Newman. Very good. Yeah. I'm sure Beethoven inspired Gary about, Newman. How do you feel about Gary Larson? <laughs> I actually, there was a point in my life when I had probably 15 Far Side books. Same. Oh, my God. Those have <sighs> not aged well. No. They're terrible. No. <laughs> they're like, awful. I mean, if you want to use the super easygoing, if you want to use... Oh, what, there what? was apparently I heard this on a, on a podcast. Um, apparently, it was a uh, my brother, my brother and me is the podcast. Oh, okay. To plug, um, <laughs> they there's actually no, no, no. It wasn't my brother, my brother and me. It was a, oh yeah, dude. Um, apparently, at one point there was a going to be a live action Far Side movie. You're... <laughs> Um, <laughs> just people with no eyes and glasses talking to jackals. And they, no, they were going to have like an animal sequence. They're going to have a caveman. Oh, so sequence. it would be like an anthology movie. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> and they were going to have a um, because uh, one of the one of the guys on Oh Yeah, Dude, his dad is an actor and he's right. going to be in this movie. <laughs> and uh, he remembers him like being dressed as a caveman <laughs> for this caveman <laughs> sequence. Wow. Uh, if I was doing that movie, I'd definitely make sure all the glasses were painted white so you couldn't see anybody's eyes behind them. Yeah. 
Um, God, yeah, have you, you have seen... to have the desert island one. Yeah, there's, there's there's a whole sequence on a desert island where it's just a thousand desert island gags happening. In yeah. A row. Um, <laughs> literally the desert island is seven feet across. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> did, did you ever see the Halloween special that was the animated Halloween special they did? Uh-uh. It's, uh, it's, it's on YouTube. You can find Farside? it. But it's, yeah. It's like, it's, it's like, it's really bad. Uh, I'll first wow. really, I mean, on the sliding scale of, of Sunday comic strips. Yeah. Like it's definitely one of the best ever. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, because I mean, it, yeah. it's, it, I mean, you want to put it against Funky Winkerbean or right? A genius who draws the penguins. Yeah, <laughs> master penguin draw. Yeah. Boondocks reference. Sorry. Yeah, um, I mean, yeah, it's, it's not as good as say Boondocks or Peanuts, but it's right. It, it might get the bronze. Yeah, it's not as good as the Bumsteads. Yeah, it's not. As, it's not. As, it's not as good as Blondie. <laughs> the maybe the Lockhorns. Yeah. It's not as good as uh, Non Sequitur was good for a while. Non Sequitur was like a good version of Far Side. Yeah, Mother like Goose and better. Grim. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, God. oh yeah. Apartment Three G. What is what is Beetle Bailey up to recently? I, I wonder. Beetle, Beetle, <laughs> Nancy. Nancy. Kathy. Man. Yeah. Yeah, actually, oh. I'm, I'm starting a. I wanted to start a Tumblr. Baby blues. I want to start a Tumblr called the Real. <laughs> I want to start a Tumblr called the Real Lockhorns, where uh-huh. I just take Lockhorns comics and I erase the captions and I just have them saying hurtful, like really hurtful, just like sincere like, things to each other. Who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? Yeah, yeah, like Lockhorns. just, just like, well, just that... like really things. Just, just like every every time you talk, I see your mother. <laughs> just like... <laughs> You should that's do what, that. Yeah, that's like what Married with Children became, though. Yeah. The lock. <laughs> yeah. So, anything else, Russ? I watched Blue Valentine. Yeah, I uh, think I liked it more than you did. Yeah, you did. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I. I mean, I. I. I don't know why exactly. I appreciated what it was going for, and I really liked the idea, and really. Uh, liked. It was more of a somber, actors, melancholy I, I kind of. Didn't. I just emotionally wasn't there for it. That's uh, okay. I kind of spaced out, kind of started using the computer a little bit, was watching it at home, uh, got a little distracted, didn't probably really uh, didn't <laughs> really tune into it. Could probably use a rewatch. Yeah. Not, I have I have that at I have that at um but I haven't I haven't watched it yet. I've, it's like a more melancholy version of 500 Days of Summer because it goes back and forth in time. I thought the uh the the uh, ending of the relationship or the dis, you know the decaying of the relationship was more mm-hmm. interesting than the actual courtship, mm-hmm. but I still liked it. He's playing a ukulele. It's like oh, I loved his of... song. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, I know. and then that song that you their can song you that's... can fucking see Michelle Williams falling for him in that scene. Yeah, it's what's so amazing. Like the acting is really what carries that movie. And as much as like, yeah, it's I'm, there's parts of it that I relate to. It, uh-huh. it, I don't know if it was necessarily like more of an emotional experience about the content of the movie, but I was so moved by watching these actors do what they're doing uh-huh. and being as amazing as they were. I and really, I loved it. Did do you did you read about the the song that's their song? That that they play. Yes, that uh, I I love that song. Did you read about what that what the history of that song? No, I don't know too much about it. Um, it's it's I don't remember the name of the group, but basically that song was found on a cassette tape at a garage sale in like Cleveland or something, oh. and nobody knows who made it. 
an estate sale. And really? it was an estate sale, yeah. Nobody knows who made it. And it's basically just this this found tape right. of some band from some point and nobody's really ever contacted them and oh, it just oh. Is the song, uh, is their song Booty, 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 Booty on the Flow? No. No, no, that one's not. That. <laughs> Have you heard that tape? No. There's, okay, I'm sorry. There's a tape of, of these people doing, it's called Booty Jams uh-huh. that was found, and it was, and it's like these Casio keyboard beats, and these people oh, saying these inane things about booties. <laughs> Oh, man. I think I might have made that when I was drunk. I first heard it on the on an episode of uh, of Sound of Young America, the college years. They had the person from Found Magazine. Oh, oh nice. yeah. yeah. And they, and they played, uh, they, and they played like in a couple episodes later, too. Because it's, it's really, really funny. I know what's happening after the podcast. Yeah, yeah. If, if I can find it, if I can find that song, I'll put a... I'll put a link up to it on the uh, Well, on you the should blog. just do a YouTube directors, mashup. Directorsclubpodcast.com. You should, you should do Directors a YouTube. Directorsclubpodcast.com. <laughs> Directorsclubpodcast.com. All right. You should do a YouTube mashup. When, like when the scene from Blue Valentine comes in, I got us a song. Yeah. Click. Yeah. Booty, and, booty, booty. You yeah, know, just like like, whatever you I want. I like it. I think that'll become a big hit. Yeah, I think, I think it's on YouTube. I think that song is on YouTube. I'll find it. I'll find it somehow. Hells yeah. From up out of the earth and into your ears, the greatest film critic of all time, Megan Lamb's IMDb Reviews. Safe. Safe is a heartwarming tale of Susan Sarandon and the environment. The suburbs are full of the conformity, the expression, and the soul of humans. There's chemistry, heart, and I think we all learn an important lesson. In the past, that gives it some nice You can tell it was based on play because the sets are realistic. This is a Brian De Palma classic. Far from Heaven. Far from Heaven is a sad but true story about the races in America. The relationship between the family is stark and real, but your tears will really flow when the black girls get abused. Because that was the way things were in American history. The colors are symbolic of the title, which has meanings. And above all, it is the beauty and love and the whole and humanity and black and white or even red are the sounds of all of our tears united as one. This has been another episode of Megan Lamb's IMDb Reviews. Until next time, keep your eyes peeled and your minds open. All right, we're going to get into our director of the episode yeah. today. Mr. Todd. Hey. Hey. What are you doing? I still have this, um, this head thing. What the hell is going on here? It's in the air. In the water. In our homes. Oh, my God. It cannot be seen, cannot be heard, cannot be stopped. We can turn it on and off like a switch. We just don't know how to make it go away. It is not alien. Go back! It is not viral. You are perfectly healthy. You might want to consult someone. Psychiatrist. It is not natural to this earth. Your family and friends tell you that you're overreacting. 
The first movie we're going to discuss is uh, Todd Haynes' Safe. It's a film from 1995. takes place in 1987. So, contrary to popular belief, it's not about safe crackers. It's actually about a woman who, you know, she's your typical housewife, and she develops uh, multiple chemical sensitivity. And it's hard to believe at first in terms of uh, like all the doctors she's seeing and a lot of people are convinced it's psychosomatic and it's all in her mind and nobody can figure out what the cause is and she becomes convinced that she's essentially allergic to her environment. Um, She sees a psychiatrist at one point and he thinks that the problem is just within herself and the mystery sort of plays out. Is she allergic to the environment or is she just so unsure about who she is um, or what she wants from life is, is her body basically externalizing her discontentment, if you will. And, you know, is her body turning against her in this well, case? Well, I didn't, I, I didn't even uh, see it as, I mean, that could, you could see that as a subtext, but I didn't even see it as a, uh, ambiguous, like she definitely, I mean, maybe I just didn't even think about it, but I figure she is definitely showing the signs of this, that she's meet other people who are Showing the same symptoms, so right. I thought. No, there's there's legitimate proof of this. Right. I mean, once she, I don't know if she visits an allergy doctor per, during that one scene where she's getting the shots. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's one of those uh, gray areas, sort of speak about the cause. Well, well of, right, yeah, and and the whole uh, it's it's the the whole um, sort of people who who talk about this condition and. Um, the the camp she goes to where they had this condition, it's all got this kind of new agey kind of like holistic medicine feel to it. Yeah. So yeah, it's never that kind it, of makes it seem a little bit less like this is. That's true. I mean, I, I didn't I didn't necessarily see it as that means that her what she's having isn't real. I just thought maybe like that means that this isn't the answer necessarily because it isn't it is not it's but not the, necessarily the, presented as a wholly right. positive force don't think it's that her That's home true. life her home life isn't the answer she's not finding any satisfaction any gratification there with her husband mm-hmm. but even once she goes to this new age retreat it's almost like the question is in the end is it a, is it another form of suburbia suburbia is she just trading in one for another and like sort of the ambiguity about things that plays out throughout the movie is what is one of its strengths. Um, I mean, I know that it's one of those movies too where you can sort of read into it many different ways. Um, and I, I know his intention, uh, similar to Poison, was to make an allegory. Poison being his first feature yes, film. Yes, yes, mm. thanks. Um, Not the band. <laughs> every rose has its S- thorn. Similar to the work of, of Poison. Song. Right. <laughs> That's a uh, Belle DeVoe, right? Belle DeVoe. BBD, yeah. ABC, ABC, BBD. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so yeah, um where was I? Well, um I thought <laughs> I find like Oh, yes, poison. Of, so. Yeah. Well, I mean like he wanted to make an allegory for how people responded to the um AIDS virus and sort of the the, the reaction to homosexuality and that sort of thing and it's sort of unclear like i don't know it's one of the, when i've watched it with different people i always question like well is is it really all about her disease being 
um, like an extension of her sexuality. Like, is she? Because the opening scene is a sex scene, and she's feeling really cut off. Obviously, not in love with her husband anymore. And see, I didn't even get that from that sex scene. Oh, really? No, it, it seems like just, just a normal sex just, scene to me. She's just like she's laying not, there. She's not even responding. No, she's responding. Yeah, but she pats him on the back at the end. Like, right? Yeah, like, over, but not. Uh-huh. I didn't. I didn't see. I didn't see that at all. I, I, it, she seemed responding different. to me. This is one of those movies I've done probably too much reading about because I'm curious to see what other people think of it. It's well, one of those I, movies I like for me, talking about. The plot and that's okay. The, for me, like the actual plot and character is it's it's more just sort of an exercise in tone for me because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I feel the most overwhelming thing I got out of this movie was an incredible sense of alienation and flight and sort of. Um, sort of bordering yourself off and trying to trying to close off um you know things from invading you and and trying to protect yeah. yourself um just every uh, one of the things I would I, I watched a lot of Todd Haynes movies this week cuz I had actually the only other movie I had seen of his was um was I'm not I'm not there which uh is actually kind of not very similar to most of his other movies um, most of his movies are not similar to most of his other movies. I, I'm wow. not, I would disagree because I feel what sort of makes a Todd Haynes movie for me is number one, um, he he does exercises in style where um, um, in this in this movie it feels like it, it feels like sort of a, a Kubrickian kind of this, the the way he shoots it with the symmetry and the music and um, just sort of it's not it's a cold approach but unlike you know a lot of Kubrick's movies you actually get a real like sort of feeling for the characters but it's it felt to me like like that um, and Poison is three different kinds of genres he's playing around and whether it's a monster movie or it's sort of like a TV documentary mm-hmm. um, his first sort of short that got him really popular was a, the Car- Karen Carpenter story um, played out with a Barbie doll superstar and mm-hmm. that is done in the style of a television documentary where it intercuts dramatizations with um, like man on the street interviews and everything yeah. so number one like I feel and I feel he does this better than most people because most people do movies that are exercises in like styles from different eras and stuff. They feel like the style. Everything is um, everything is for the benefit of the style. Like something like Grindhouse or yeah. like Steven Soderbergh's The Good German. It's it's not it's not about whether the style serves the story. It's about yeah. writing a story that serves this exercise and whatever you know you want to do a Grindhouse movie or an old film noir or anything like that. And I think he, what separates him is he does it the other way around where he has these sort of stories and emotions he wants to explore um, and he finds a way to approach them uh, by using different, you know, film tech, like different styles and, and you know, sort of director's techniques. Um, and he emulates different, you know, directors and eras of film and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that way, I, I feel like this movie more than the story or the character or any of the details about, I feel the overwhelming thing that I got from it was just a complete and total sense of tone of alienation and, and, and just feeling alone and abandoned and not being trusted. Um, and in that way it is very much like AIDS. Um, this sort of feeling that you're toxic, your, your body itself is toxic and, um, that no one can help you and or will help you, um, and it's similar to the to the the fifty style horror 
Oh, movie, and poison. And yeah. Poison. yeah, poison. That was that was definitely the most um, obvious sort yeah. of allegory. Yeah. I think of what he's done. But in that way, I feel like a lot of Todd Haynes movies are similar, even if they don't, even if they don't look the same. You know, they, that he still has that similar approach where that makes sense. Um, he has a he has either a story he wants to tell, or an idea he wants to get across, or a tone he wants to get across, or an attitude, and then he finds a style of, of filmmaking that that fits that. Um, but yeah, safe, safe is like a really powerful movie. And, but I, but I, I was, there's scenes that are just, they, that don't really mean anything textually. And it's all, um, just the way it's shot and the way the music swells where I know one of your favorite scenes is her, uh, just the sort of 45 second shot of her, like just drinking milk. Mm -hmm. She drinks a lot of milk. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Which isn't a good idea, but. Also, the uh, scene where she gets her hair done is terrifying, mostly mm-hmm. because of the yeah. music, the score that underplays the everything. Sound yeah, is... the sound design is really extraordinary in this movie because it has like these low drones in the background, like these low humming sounds. They're not always mm-hmm. obvious, too. Russ, what are your thoughts? Um, I liked it. <laughs> <laughs> I love this movie. Yeah, this is so one of your favorites. So much. Yeah. And the weird, I, it's one of those movies, like, the more I watch it, the more I love it. I think the score is, is um, su- it's such a big part of it. Like, yeah. the score, I mean, you were talking about it's a tone. It's mostly tone, this movie. Mm-hmm. And the score is half of that. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, it, it's the, the kind of the primary... Uh, it's almost a, a character in the movie. Yeah. Absolutely. I think it, because... Well, the movie feels very orchestrated, even just the way the shots are framed. And, oh, right. It's, you know. That's sort of back what I was saying about like Kubrick. That's the way it, it feels. It's very symmetrical. Um, and it's and the, the world it take, that takes place in it, and the, it's, it's very cold. Um, but, you know, instead of... I don't, I don't feel like... I feel that instead of like a Kubrick who sort of... Like his movies sometimes just lack humanity in general. I think it's more mm-hmm. just getting across how she specifically feels. But Todd Haynes is sort of the opposite in that regard. His films are chock full of humanity, right? And that's what I respond right. to. And uh, let me ask you this about the ending. I mean, obviously, if you folks out there have not seen this movie, it's not all necessarily easy to find. But if you don't want this spoiled, but it's not really like a a major spoiler no it's more it's more no there's no twist it's no. you know but it's it's one of those things that i'm always curious how the interpretation is is it one of she's come to a point of self-acceptance therefore it's a, a good ending a, a satisfactory ending i wouldn't want to say a happy ending but or is it you know how do you interpret the ending is, i'm just curious i don't know how self-accepting it is i mean she she, gets she just looks in the mirror but she looks in the mirror and yeah. says that she loves herself. But she's also saying that because that's what another woman did and told her to say. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think I think that's when she says she loves herself like that. It seems it doesn't. It seems like she okay. This is what I do next. You know. Yeah. Um, absolutely. The the I love the um, the speech she gives mm-hmm. uh, before she leaves to go in this, this bubble thing. Yes. And it's, it's basically her spouting out all the bullshit people have been saying since she got there mm-hmm. only in like the Fragments. least convincing way possible. Yeah. It's just totally like, 
Um, she like, hears all your cliche spouted back at you in from somebody who like hasn't heard them as many times and doesn't know how to make them sound and authentic. And it, everybody's demanding her to give a speech, and she's like, "Oh, yeah, I'll it's just... funny, like because you because they are complete just cliches, and you believe that she believes them. Yes, but at the same time, the way that they're said all in a row, it makes them just seem like ten times more bullshit. Yeah, um, uh, awkward. The, the whole yeah. movie, I think, it, what's interesting is it's it's how she doesn't have really any control. Um, she's just sort of she's sort of childlike, and how she relies on different people. And Even her to, voice to tell her what to do. Yeah. Her voice is very childlike, and I feel she's alone. Um, I feel she's alone and alienated at the beginning, and she's alone and alienated at the end. Um, I, don't, I definitely don't think it's a happy ending I, I, in any way. I kind of mm-hmm. feel like the whole trajectory of the plot. It's basically just like it starts at one point, and then it's a downward diagonal line. And then it stops, right? <laughs> and that's that's the 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 plot of the movie. It's just watching this go from one point down to a lower point steadily. Um, can I ask you guys a question? There's this. I there's a scene I did not understand. There's a scene early on um, where her friend comes over and wants to, and her friend needs to talk to her, and they are in the kitchen, and I think they're talking about her friend that no, died. She or? said it was. Her she said it was. Brother. Yeah, oh, but she, instead of saying her brother, she says it was my my mother's oldest child. Like instead of saying the words brother, she goes, "He was my brother's oldest child." I mean, my mother's oldest child. And then Julianne Moore goes, "Was it?" And then she goes, "No." Everyone asks, but he wasn't married. And like, and it's hmm. a very kind of, and then that's about all the information that's given, and it's not referenced again. Yeah. And I had no idea what was going on. Carly, I watched it. I watched it with Carly, and Carly's theory was. Like that, it was about someone who died of AIDS because she, because like, mm. oh, he wasn't married, so that means he was gay. gay. Like, yeah, that would yeah. make sense. I, it sounds my first because that's first what Todd Haynes instinct intended. is they're dancing around the word gay. Yeah, yeah. I I didn't understand that scene but, though, and what it like yeah. what its place in the movie was. Um, it mostly just confused me, I yeah. guess. Hmm. But, um. Yeah, so I just I just wanted your opinion, since you've seen it a lot, Jim. It's something I actually hadn't thought about extensively, that particular scene. But it certainly makes sense to me that that would be another extension of his allegory. I mean, it, it's tough because like when, when I first saw it, I read it the same way you did. And then the more I read about it, the more I wanted to rewatch it, just because there's different interpretations out there, including Todd Haynes' own intention behind making this movie. And a lot of it is interesting that he doesn't really see it as a completely pessimistic experience, even though it plays out that way. Um, I think at one point, like in one interview, he said about the character that shows up, uh, James LaGrosse's character who shows up um, at the um, at the retreat, it becomes he becomes uh, Julianne Moore's partner. They like sort of cook dinners together and stuff. Uh-huh. And how he said that in the first um, showing of this movie with like a lot of his friends and family, they all sort of cheered at the fact that he was um, in this movie and sort of playing an overtly homosexual character, and that it was like a turning point for the movie. I mean, we're not, I'm I'm not interpreting it this way, but that's just the way he said that, like, it's actually uplifting 
that she has this connection with this particular character because she's sort of finding a sense of camaraderie with him in a Uh way. And that's what made me think, well, is he insinuating that Julianne Moore's character is gay too? I don't, I think that weakens the, I don't think it can be an allegory if also she is gay because she doesn't have AIDS in the movie. Right. So I think it just muddles the whole thing. If I don't think that's what he's trying to say at all because it's either, you know, and in fact, that's why I thought like the whole conversation where, they're talking about a guy who is like, I don't know. It just, it feels like if you're going to be doing this in an allegorical way, then you can't mm-hmm. be introducing actual, what you're actually trying to say. Well, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, in the interview, he was like, just basically saying, I think people understood when his character came on screen that what he was trying to say, and it's not a depressing experience in the end. That it's not like she's she still found a connection with this particular character. I didn't even see that character as being particularly significant. You know, I mean, like, oh, well, at least she's made a buddy well, at this I retreat, she, she and had, that's really good. She but... also, I mean, she also had buddies. She also had buddies in her. Yeah, I, I think though. Yeah. I think my interpretation of the movie is that the ending is zero sum game. I don't think. Um... I felt like she had just gone into her grave and grave and closed the door. Yeah. No, I, I I totally agree. It's just interesting to get other different viewpoints on it and whether or not... And that's what I think is so great about this movie. It's She's for so, different yeah. interpretations, if you like. You yeah. Know? I mean, I, I, I'm pretty much on board with it being a really depressing experience, but it's one that I'm completely immersed into, and I get a lot out of it every time I watch it. So I think it's his best movie, and we can move on if you want. Yeah, <laughs> we should move on. Okay. Our next movie will be uh, Far From Heaven. Feels like there's no one left in the world that I can talk to. Sometimes it's the people outside our world you can fight in best. So often we fail in that kind of love. Far From Heaven is a movie from 2002 (laughs) or 2003, I believe. That also features Julianne Moore as a housewife in the past, but instead of 87, it's 1957 or something. <laughs> 1950s <laughs> Connecticut. 19, 1950s Connecticut. Um, it's, a, it's a tribute to the movies of Douglas Sirk, the sort of, um, melo, sort of domestic melodramas that he would make um, with but uh, he would do also put social messages in, in which she uh, befriends her um, black gardener, and it creates a scandal among the community. And then there's another scandal within her house, um, which is that her husband is is, is gay. Um, that's one that they don't let out in the community. Mm. Um, and I think it's an interesting movie because, again, it's – I think this even more so than any of his others except maybe, of course, like the monster movie parody um, in uh, – I wouldn't even call it a parody. But the monster movie segment in Poison, mm-hmm. it's the most overt stylistic tribute. Um, it's just very – you know, even for a movie that takes place in the fifties, generally, um, you know, they it feel instead of it doesn't. It's not just a movie that takes place in the fifties. It feels like it's a movie that's from the fifties. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's there's not. I think, I think only one character swears in it. Uh, her little <laughs> her little kid gets gets uh, her little her little kid gets in trouble because he says, "Oh, geez," and he says, uh, "Shucks," I think. Yeah, yeah, shucks. Yeah. Okay, yeah, shucks and geez. They were both yeah. <laughs> Um, and it's and again it's an interesting um, because instead of just feeling like kind of a tribute and just feeling oh well well these people 
are doing this melodrama and it, it actually does connect. Um, and the obvious uh, sort of message being put across, uh, at least the, the most obvious one I saw was that um, nowadays you can look back um, I th- at a movie like this about Julianne Moore befriending a black, her black gardener. She may, she's falling in love with him, but they actually don't ever start a relationship. They, mm-hmm. There's no affair. Right. Um, because she's married and he knows it and but they do fall in love and how that's treated like it's some horrible thing um is obviously an equivalent to uh how homosexuality is treated when the move like when in 2002 or 2003 whenever it came out um where he's he's equating the racism in the 50s to the homophobia of when of the when the movie came out um, because, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah, no, that's right. All right. Um, I, I really love this movie mainly because it's so melodramatic and, you know, the, the it, where like all the, the, uh, issues raised in, um, in safe are sort of buried underneath the surface. This one is pretty much right up in, in front. Mm-hmm. Um, everything from the music to the, um, stylistic choices of, uh, of color and, the, um, the performances, the, just the visuals, the color in this movie is—it's like one of my favorite, just like visually mm-hmm. movies ever. It's just so beautiful with all the leaves. And yeah, everything. the setting yeah. is. Oh, have you seen a Douglas Sirk movie by any chance? Yeah, uh, I've seen Imitation of yeah, Life. That's really good. Yeah, I think that's the one I saw as well. Yeah, all that heaven allows. This is this movie is completely mirroring, 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 mirroring. Um, a reflection of that's it that that works better a reflection of um all that heaven allows because in that movie the sort of um uh jaded housewife is having this sort of affair i mean she's a widow in that movie so that's not exactly a complete reflection but she, he's a, a completely different class and um all the town sort of frowns upon her all her friends say this is wrong and you know it's 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 very it's it's more than not only a homage but it's it's really like an embracing of that style and of those themes and sort of bringing them into the contemporary and it's really it's really moving and i i don't know it's one of those movies like as the more i watch it too the more i really like it Mm. Yeah, and I think what really makes it work is it is a complete uh, tribute, and it does feel like authentically like a movie from the fifties. Yeah, but it knows when it knows not to go far enough into parody. Like one thing Mm -hmm. I noticed when I was watching *Imitation of Life* is just the swelling music at every turn, and I think there's a little bit of that here, but it's not so much that it would seem silly. Mm-hmm. Like you really do get emotionally invested in these characters, despite the level of artifice, uh, artifice of you know, the, of the approach to the material. The style doesn't overwhelm. And it does, because, and it's interesting because it's a message, you know, it is a message movie, but it's not, it's not, it feels like a message movie from the 50s about racism. Right. But Mm -hmm. it's, but it's, but because of the time it came out, it's actually a message movie about, you know, um, about like gay issues and homophobia. Which is interesting because the gay character is, you hate him. Yeah, <laughs> I mean he's well, awful. It's, it's authentic. Yeah. Well, right, because there's no. <laughs> yeah, I know. I yeah, there's him. no, there's no, um, you know, there's no. Uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for? There's no. What's the opposite of comeuppance? <laughs> Where he redeemed. There's no redemption yeah. for for Dennis Quaid's character. Yeah, and that in that way, it's true to a movie from the 50s. A movie yeah. from the 
I mean, a movie from the 50s probably wouldn't even have dealt with the subject matter. Right. But if it did deal with the subject matter, it would deal with it in that way in yeah. which yeah. he There's is no resolution. Where, it's, where it's a um, – where it actually – it walks the line where you could read it as it presenting homosexuality as a gross – lifestyle yeah. choice that mm-hmm. destroys families yeah yeah but it walks that line so well that you know because of it's actually came out in 2003 you know it's actually saying the the opposite right. where it's yeah it's actually talking about how it's perceived in that way yeah um i i thought dennis quaid was really good in it julianne moore yeah. dennis um, quaid plays he has a really great drunk scene in this movie and it's like one of those things where oh, you work yeah. where you worry about it being over the top but it's not he plays it really well yeah, like he it, finds that right balance. It, the whole movie finds that right balance yeah, where yeah. it walks those it walks those lines. It's not a silly, you know, there's there's a thousand sketch comedy shows and just sort of silly send-ups of this kind of movie. Yeah. Um and, mm-hmm. and of parodies and stuff, but this isn't that. This is, you know, you can tell he really loves, you know, Douglas Sirk movies and you can tell that um that he knows, you know, how to make them work without just being so silly in the oh look yeah. he created a fifties melodrama in two thousand two or two thousand three. It never turns it into be. young and the restless. So far right. from being campy. <laughs> it isn't at all. Yeah. David Lynch movie. No. <laughs> um, yeah, and uh, I it has a really really heartbreaking ending, which I which is the one difference um, between this and like a Douglas Sirk movie. Douglas Sirk movies always seem to have happy endings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, no, that's true. You know, in in a Douglas Sirk in a Douglas Sirk movie, there would be some kind of speech where she tells off all the townspeople about racism, yeah. and then she ends up with Dennis Haysbird, and they live you know happily ever after. <laughs> but in this, there's just this look they give each other, and then that's it. And you and it says everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. That it, it says everything about what they want to be and what they can't be, and um, and it's like genuinely moving. Even yeah, even though you know that it's sort of doing, you're aware of what it's doing, but it it still works on that level, and, and that that achievement alone, I think, is kind of a miracle. I agree. So we can briefly discuss um, any other Todd Haynes films that we're familiar with, right? Um, um, we we talked we talked about Superstar, the the short film that mm-hmm. sort of that debuted at Sundance and sort of gave made his name. That movie is not available because of a lawsuit from the Carpenter family because it, it does not portray <laughs> them in a positive light. It's about it's about, shock. it's about Karen Carpenter's battle with anorexia and he does it with Barbie dolls and he whittles away at her Barbie doll to make her skinnier throughout the entire thing. Um, I bet John Carpenter. There are pissed. low quality bootlegs on YouTube. Um, you know, yeah, so if you want to watch that, really grainy. Yeah, there was Poison, which it's an anthology movie, but instead of a typical anthology movie. Um, where it's three different stories um, just told back to back. They're, they're all, intercut. They're intercut um, where the way they're edited together, they seem to comment on each other. Mm-hmm. The copy I had was um, – is not – that's another movie that's sadly very hard to find. Um, but the, the copy I had was kind of low quality. Um, so it was – there's I a one – I don't think I've ever seen it on DVD. It's out on DVD. I've seen it on VHS. I, th- yeah. I think the, I mean, the copy I had was like a bootleg. So yeah. it was VHS quality but – there's one of the stories takes place in a prison and because of just the sound recording in the echoey prison and all the shadows and everything, it was very hard to make out what was being said and who was who. Mm-hmm. So I literally like a third of the movie. Well, I didn't that, quite. It's parts really shadowy and dark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Right. It's almost lit like a noir film. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. So, but, um, then there's, uh, so 
yeah, so there's that. Um, he did this really, really great short film, I think, for PBS called Dottie Gets Spanked. I love Dottie Gets Spanked. I think Dottie, I think Dottie Gets Spanked is my favorite Todd Haynes movie. It's about a, I, I think it's mine, too. <laughs> it's, it's in, and it's sort of the first movie he did. I think Far From Heaven is sort of, like, what makes, I feel, I feel Poison and to maybe a lesser extent st- safe sort of stand out from a lot of, uh, you know, like, queer movies from the late 80s early 90s is instead of like struggling for acceptance it's all about just the horrible pain of not being accepted mm-hmm. it's not like these noble these noble people like trying to integrate into society it's just it's all about focusing on the horrible just just fear of and rejection. and and rejection, rejection. yeah mm-hmm. and rejected and feeling and feeling like you are a terrible person and all that um, and they're very aggressive in that way. And I think Dottie Gets Spanked is sort of his first movie where it's not that. It's a very sweet um, yeah. movie about a little like boy. I think he's like seven or so. Mm-hmm. In the 60s, he did, he's obsessed with this uh, Lucille Ball kind of character named Dottie. Um, and, you know, his father doesn't quite approve because it's kind of a girl show. And he tries to talk to other girls about it, but they just laugh at him. Uh, he's a and boy. He, yeah, because he's a boy. And he, he likes this like this girl, this campy kind of girl show. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, he's having, he has these, uh, dream, recurring dreams of her getting spanked. Um, and they're like very kind of strange, surreal dreams where he's a king and he orders <laughs> her to get spanked. And there's, there's the old timey weightlifter. Yeah. Yeah. The strongest man in the kingdom spanks her. And, and, and it's like this, and there's these dreams that he feels kind of weird and guilty about. And, and, and he's very obviously like a gay boy and it's sort of. And there's actually a lot of um, there's a lot of spanking and sort of S and M in uh, Todd Haynes' movies. I think this was sort of playfully addressing it, but there's more mm-hmm. of it, a lot of S and M in Poison. Um, mm-hmm. But and it's sort of playfully addressing that and hit this little boy feeling alienated, and he finally he wins a contest to go visit her on set, um, and it's sort of the best moment of his life. <laughs> and it has I, Todd Haynes is amazing with sort of ending images. It has this. Really heartbreaking ending image where he he he's drawing a picture and crank he just constantly draws pictures of Dottie. Yeah, uh, and he's drawing a picture of Crank of her getting spanked and her his dad sees it and just doesn't say anything and it's the worst thing that he could do is just to like see it and then pretend it didn't happen and you and I can't believe his dad who through the whole thing has kind of been frowning on right. this whole side of him while the and mother like kind of encouraged it and right. Or at least was supportive. Yeah, it was supportive. And so. and and then like the last image is of the of the little boy who's amazing actor. Like normally little kids are not good actors, but he the little boy's so great at just really subtle um you know, it may be one of those you know, maybe he isn't a great actor, maybe it's like that sort of Russian editing exercise where they had a guy with a blank face and then they edited like a picture of a kitten and then they edited a picture of a funeral. What's that? The Kulishov effect. Kulishov effect. There you go. It may be that. Maybe it's just the way it's edited. The little boy didn't have to act at all. But it seems like he's really subtly, you know, responding to everything. And the last image is just him burying the picture. And it's really great. And it's just a really sweet movie. Yeah. Um, Hmm. That's also on. Have you seen that, Jim? No. That's on DVD. That is available on DVD. I've got it. You can borrow it. Oh, cool. Um, And then uh, his uh, latest movie. Um, is was I'm not there. Actually, you missed one. Velvet Goldmine. Yeah. No, that's right. Velvet, because that's the one I haven't seen. 
That's oh, so oh, good. Oh, the Goldmine has first of all a really fun glam rock soundtrack. Yes. Uh, it's loosely... is it original songs or is it covers? original songs? Oh, uh, there's one T Rex cover. Oh, yeah, that's it. Um, but it's loosely. It's based on the life of David Bowie. Only mm-hmm. they change all the names and everything that could uh, because David Bowie did not want to be affiliated with it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's got like an Iggy Pop character in there yeah, too. Yeah, and there's a Lou Reed. Yeah, mm-hmm. like, he's kind of a fused Lou Reed Iggy Pop character. Right. Um, it's but... almost like his version of 24-hour party people without the narrator. It's really like just an homage, a, a, you know, like a tribute to the glam rock era yeah. of rock and roll. Yeah. And, and it's, it's so flashy. It's, it starts off with uh, uh, this, like, what is it? It's some Oscar Wilde. Oh, like, yeah. there's the, like this this whole, like, Oscar Wilde tie-in that it's like, mm-hmm. um, and then there's there's some sort of I, I love that it's almost like it's almost like there's more to it to the characters and the mythology of it than you actually get to. Yeah. There's like this whole kind of hints at this. Uh, there's more to this character, Jack Ferry, that's in it a little bit, but like it hints at him being like a much bigger figure. And he's kind of linked to the Oscar Wilde thing in the beginning with this like. So it, yeah. It creates uh, like a whole alternate like glam rock history. Yeah. 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 And, um, there's, uh, the, uh, what's his name? The, the journalist. Uh, is it Kurt? No. Kurt Wilde? No, that's not his no, name. No. That's, that's, that's the, that's the Bale. Bale. Christian Bale's character. Yeah, Christian Bale's uh, character. Christian Bale's yeah. character is a journalist and he is basically, um, kind of, he gets this assignment to figure out kind of what happened to the David Bowie character, um, and he, so he, he kind of, as he's doing, as he, this is happening to him, he, he's kind of remembering his own experience, like, like finding this music and identifying with it. And, um, at the same time, kind of coming to his terms with his own sexuality through this yeah. music. That's what I liked a, and, a lot about uh, this movie. Is yeah. That it sort of equates the two. It, yeah, it definitely does. And, um... It uh, it kind of follows his journey through flashbacks as he's also trying interviewing people and trying to find this character, um, whom at the end turns out to be to have morphed himself into a newer '80s pop star, uh, <laughs> just like David Bowie did. Only in this case, nobody knows that that's actually him. Oh, like he's yeah. adopted a new name and a new look and everything. Chris Haynes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, not there's. I remember there's like, isn't there flashback scenes of like him getting electric shock treatments to cure his homosexuality? I've, I, I don't, don't know. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. No, that's the. Um, Am I thinking of the other character? The Iggy Pop character. The Iggy Pop oh, yeah. character. Yeah. yeah. Okay. They yeah, that every stood out. Time he turns on an electric guitar or something. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. That's I a have trippy that... movie. I love I, it. I got that. And it, the music is just. It's done by like they had a bunch of like musicians. They had Tom like Tommy York, York and. Uh, um, the dude from Shudder to Think. Yeah. Or, or Shudder to Think actually has a song on there. Uh, and then, Placebo. like, Placebo. Placebo yeah. And, like, a bunch of, like, awesome 90s bands. bands that were very influenced by glam rock. Sort of similar, sure. similar to uh, what he did what, what he did with I'm Not There. With, or you didn't see I'm Not There. I haven't but seen I'm Not There. Yeah. I'm Not There. He had, he had like, uh, Calexico and... Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Jeff Tweedy. Jeff Tweedy <laughs> and, yeah, a whole bunch of people like that. Right. 
Yeah, that's no. I I, I really like I'm not there, but not. It's I feel like some of the stylistic choices, including like the Richard Gears thing with incorporating like a Western element in that, that didn't his, really work. Christian period. Yeah, I'm yeah. not there. It's a Bob Dylan biopic. Um, yeah, that, I I had to I had to have my. I watched it with my girlfriend. My girlfriend's obsessed with Bob Dylan. She had to explain the movie to me because it's not a biopic in the traditional sense. It's mm-hmm. it's actually sort of the same as Poison in that it's these different stories um, that are all different takes on the same sort of theme. In this case, it's Bob Dylan. Different actors playing um, Bob and, Dylan. And the stories are all edited together and that way they sort of comment on each other. Um, but – um. Yeah, I didn't understand. I didn't understand most of it because it sort of <laughs> relies on you knowing the mythology of Bob Dylan mm-hmm. and knowing about. All right, this is him. You know, this this was him when he met you know Woody Guthrie, and this is this is after the motorcycle accident, and then this is you know this is when he went electric and all of that, and this yeah. is when he became a Christian, and you sort of have to know all of it because yeah. it doesn't even say Bob Dylan. They it's in it's all a stand-in character. Uh huh. Yeah, the the strongest stuff is the stuff I knew about a little bit more. Obviously, I'd seen Don't, yeah. Don't Look Back, and so, what you know that's the whole um, that's that's Kate Blanchett that that's her segment mm-hmm. where it's told in the documentary style of Don't Look Back. That's the stuff but I thought was strongest. My, my absolute favorite part of that movie is Julianne Moore as uh, Joan Baez. <laughs> <laughs> Julianne Moore she just does shows the up. greatest right. impression of Joan Baez ever. Yeah. And she's just like, well, just Bob, you wrote all these songs, you know? Like she's like where she's trying to insert herself into his history. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's worth seeing just for Julianne Moore as, as the Joan Baez stand-in. And and uh, and of course, um, in that really brief scene where he meets the Beatles, and then the Beatles are just like doing cartwheels and dancing around, <laughs> and then and then he's like, "All right, well, bye, Beatles." And the Beatles are like, "Bye," and they run. And then in the background, there's ten thousand girls chasing them off screen. Yeah. <laughs> it's one of the silliest. It has some things. great moments, that's for sure. Yeah, I don't, I don't think the whole movie as a whole completely works. The I idea. wonder. I I wonder how much it better it would work though if I did sort of fully understand Bob Dylan. Does Carly like the movie? Carly likes the movie a lot. Oh okay. See, I, I wonder because I know almost nothing. Yeah, about Bob I think Dylan. Like, I would I imagine th- you'd mostly like be I lost. It, I would just be like, "What is this?" Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas I watched Velvet Goldmine. When I watched Velvet Goldmine, I knew nothing about David Bowie and didn't even know that this movie was about David really Bowie. Never really heard David. I had never mm-hmm. I would I was not a da- I had not really listened to David Bowie at all and uh, I watched Velvet Goldmine and I thought it was great. I didn't know who it was about at all, but um, I thought it was really fun. Um, and uh, then now I really like David Bowie. Yeah, I think I think <laughs> I think more I mean I haven't seen I haven't seen a Velvet Goldmine, but it sounds like I'm not there much more so depends on cuz yeah. it's all about the mythology and what's sort of interesting is I would say is most biopics are all about sort of deconstructing the mythology and finding the man behind it. Uh-huh. This is all about building it up and yeah, it's like building the mythology more instead yeah. of instead of finding who the real Bob Dylan is. It says there is no real Bob Dylan. He's thirty different people. He's yep. everything to all everyone. That's what that's <laughs> what you walk away with thinking about. Yeah, um, but uh, and then he has a he has a miniseries coming out um, on HBO, uh, which is an adaptation of Mildred Pierce. Yeah, it'll probably with Kate Winslet. Har- sort of oh, harken back a, Sonic a little Youth bit. Video. <laughs> <laughs> we forgot to talk about his Sonic. What what album? What uh, what from, song is it? It's from a song off Goo. I think. <laughs> I don't know. It's I, exactly. I didn't hear the audio. I just watched the video because I was at work. If you've ever, yeah, I know. If you've ever seen a Sonic Youth video, it's that. 
Yeah. <laughs> They're all that sort of 16 millimeter black and white. Yeah. yeah. I'll be is, interested is to see his remake. Back. Very much so. Like I heard, because I, I love Mildred Pierce. It's a great, 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 yeah, great movie. That's a really good movie, and it's and it's kind. Of, but I, I think it's. It'll be interesting to see Kate Winslet. I take think on it, that role. I think it's more based on the book. Okay. Um, than, so it'll the, be different. than the movie, but yeah, it should be interesting. I'm not sure if it's going to be in film noir style. I would say it's that, not black and white. I don't think. Right. I, I I haven't seen I'm I haven't seen Velvet Goldmine, so I'm not sure if that emulates any kind of genre or film style or something. I mean that's the thing. It's like it's it's like a I don't even know what specific genre I would say it emulates. It's sort of like all over the place visually. It's kind of interesting in that way. Mm-hmm. The reason why I thought bring up twenty four hour party people is that it just sort of emulates almost like the music that it's talking about, like just how glammy and flashy and things are. And it's you know got a lot of different transitions and weird. Just stylistic choices that right. you know you don't normally see in a Todd Haynes movie, where the camera is staying completely still and safe. In Velvet Goldmine, it's always moving. Right. Can well, I, I mean, can he... I ask uh, off topic? But did you like Twenty Four Hour Party People? I did. Okay, because I hated that movie. Really? Yeah. Wow. I I th- okay. It was one of the. I mean, maybe you know, seeing it. Until very recently, I was under the impression that it was about raves because of the the poster. <laughs> Michael Winterbaum's one of my favorite directors too. He'd be an interesting director to consider for the future because he makes so many weirdly different movies every time. I just felt like I couldn't follow it, and I didn't know what was going on half the time. If you have a request well... for a director we should cover, you should send an email to Directors Club Podcast at gmail dot com. Directors Club Podcast at gmail dot com. All right. Um, can yeah, I, I? So that yeah, I have, I have wrap it up. I have Close one other. I have one one other question. Okay. All right. I haven't seen Velvet. I haven't seen Velvet Goldmine. But as far as uh, queer movies about glam rock, Velvet Goldmine or Hedwig and the Angry Inch? Haven't Hedwig seen and Hedwig. the Angry Inch. Oh, you haven't seen Hedwig? No. Oh my god. I love love everybody. You'll loves love that movie. movie. Yeah. It's incredible. It is. It's really fucking great. It's too bad that's his only great movie. I mean, well, I, I didn't dislike Rabbit Hole. I thought it was okay. I mean, yeah, and short buses. You have you really completely discount short bus, even though it's interesting. And yeah. you're even making you can't see it now, uh, listeners. Uh, but Jim's making like this face, like he just pooped his pants. I hate short bus. Uh, short bus is a really interesting movie. It's a failure. It's not very good, but it's it's interesting in his approach. He did a make Mike Lay actually approach where he. Uh, Mike, well, Mike, the way Mike Lay makes his movies is he sort of builds the stories out of the characters, and the characters are built out of for the actors. Okay. So it's a collaborative process with the actors, and he did the same thing with Short Bus. Um, huh. It just you know so that sort of that sort of process. Well, I don't like what the characters decided to do in Short Bus with their characters. Yeah, well, yeah, that sort of process. Little, it's going to. I saw a little bit of Short Bus, and it was like I, I, it might have all just been a porn, as much <laughs> as I saw of it. So yeah, I, I, yeah, I didn't really invest in any of the characters at all. I, I liked it. It's not. It's not very good, but I liked it. But huh. I. But I think uh, Hedwig and the Angry Inch is fucking incredible. It is incredible. So and he and you can't say oh it's his only good movie. He's only done three movies. Well, yeah, I know. <laughs> so, but so far, it's his only really good movie, really great movie. Right. So you, you only need one. Doing Terrence Malick. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, we're definitely going to do Terrence Malick because he's got the must... Tree of Life coming out. He, yeah. We got a Tree of Life coming out, so we'll do it then probably. And I want to watch. I want to rewatch uh, Days of Heaven because I didn't really like it the first time I saw it. Oh, yeah, that's okay. I didn't. I, again, I could. I couldn't connect to anyone in it. I'm more than happy to defend the New World as much as possible. That's fine. I haven't seen that, but uh, yeah. So we, we should do Terrence Malick at some point. Yeah, Jim, can you tell us? What can I tell you, Patrick? What do you want to know? What the next director we're going to be doing is because I can't remember his name because 
we decided as a different sort of approach, the next director we're going to do is one that until very recently neither of us had ever heard of and we've never seen any of his movies. Um, can you look up what the director's name is next uh, week? Did, I don't remember what we decided on. Yeah, we did. Remember we decided on the guy – uh, someone sent you an email. I think it was from Row 3 or maybe it was from Film Junk oh, or something. No, it was Kurt Halfyard from Row 3. Okay. And he suggested that we cover Joseph Lousy. Right. Um, he did Modesty Blaze. I've seen The Boy with the Green Hair, okay. which is Dean Stockwell's first movie. He's a little boy with green hair. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard really good things about this director from him. He did the, a remake of M, which I can't imagine being better than the original. No. Um, but I can't uh, imagine most movies being better than the original M. Yeah, we're going to give this a go next week. Or and, two uh, weeks from now. Well, I kind of wanted to go back to... Oh, well, we're doing every week now? No, no, we're not going... <laughs> sorry, we're not going back to every week, but... Um, it's better to do this on the weekends where I don't work, and I work every other weekend. Mm-hmm. Hence, next weekend I don't work. Okay. So we'll just do every other weekend starting next week. All right. Sorry for the confusion. All right. Yeah. I'm bad like that. Yeah, you're really bad, Jim. I know. I'm a terrible human being. You Kill should go me. into the closet, Jim. I will. The anger closet. Hmm? Exciting. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And Take pictures. Take pictures and upload them to Instagram. We will. Good. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great way to end the podcast. It is. It's so cute. On a billboard? No. Yeah, I will. Don't. I didn't get to do my. I've seen Billboard Dad. Here. You didn't see Billboard Dad. You don't know how that story ends. Is that a Tom Arnold movie? Tom Arnold? No, no, no. That's a Olsen twins movie. Oh. They want to get their dad a date, so they. Put a billboard, and then like the guy, I think that ends with all three of them being murdered. So we're basically going to have. He suggested some movies. Billboard Dad is a giallo. Sorry to go back to what we were originally trying to plan on. (laughs) (laughs) Ashley Olsen. Ashley Olsen gets her throat slit with a scalpel by a man with black gloves. The original Italian title of Billboard Dad is Billboard Dad and Red Leather. (laughs) <laughs> Save this for the outtakes Oh god, I really want to So wanna, we're going to be covering I a really director we don't Olsen know anything twins about in a Giallo movie, that'd be great And if they were both the killer too Yeah So he's uh, really... suggested a bunch of movies Not a bunch, just like four Maybe we should just go with his suggestions And then, you know, if we hate him we can just be like, God damn you. No, it would be interesting. <laughs> no, it will I've be. I've never heard of this director. So. Neither have I. That's why I'm really excited to Do you try remember di- We're trying a different approach. Right. And if again, if you'd like to submit movies, just uh, you can email us. Or at... directors, that is. You know, if you have a suggestion for a director, right. and if you even want to come on the show to discuss why you love this director or, you know, why you don't love this director. I think you should do a Russ Meyer episode. I'd, I'd love to do a Russ Meyer yeah, episode, but none of his stuff is on Netflix. Fun. So it's like going to be really hard to get a hold of. I can find anything. Oh, Verhoeven's on the list. We have a we have a we have a list of about 120 names, and okay. Russ Meyer and Paul Verhoeven are both on it. Good. Yeah, we'll do a bonus podcast where we just list off every director. Yeah. that we can think of. Song. Yeah, we're gonna do a we're gonna do a <laughs> bonus. Turn a tune of Yakko's World. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, that closes out this wonderful episode of the Directors Club podcast. Thank you all for listening. Fucking thank Yakko's you, Russ. World. Thank you, Russ, for being on the show. It was yeah, great. No and thanks, Megan, for hanging out. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Bye.
We should do a we should do a radio play version. Something bizarre is happening to housewife Carol. Oh hi Carol. No, just put that on the door. (laughs) (laughs) We're here with your sofa. (laughs) The sofa the sofa doesn't match. (laughs) 